you're basically editing the world as a photographer. That's what you're doing. You know, you, you edit, you edit the world, you, you edit every image that you take, even when you think you're not editing, you're still choosing where you point your, your camera and your lens, you know, and, and what to frame, what to leave in and what to frame out. So I think, yeah, I think things can be completely genuine and serve a purpose, but they might not necessarily be photographically. This photography podcast is brought to you by Frames, quarterly printed photography magazine. Here is your today's host, W. Scott Olsen, with another fascinating conversation. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another podcast from Frames Magazine. My name is Scott Olson, and today, this is a treat. This is going to be so much fun. I am talking with Ian Howarth. Ian has been in the New York Times. He's been in The Guardian. He has been everywhere you can possibly imagine, and in the second volume of Frames Magazine. He is one of the photographers we have had the great joy to feature in the print publication. And Ian, how are you doing today? What's life like over in England? I'm very well, and thank you for having me. Yes, things are very been very cold here, but luckily we're having a bit of a, a bit of a spell of nicer weather, so we're very grateful. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. Where I live right now, it is minus 20 degrees Fahrenheit. I don't know what that is in Celsius, but it, it's just a wee bit chilly over here, so I'm looking forward to the warm-up too. Ian, your, your work is very well known all around the world and certainly to the Frames community. And, and I want to jump right in with some notion of early days and, and, and you know, how you became who you are. One of the things that you mentioned quite a lot, you were born to a British uh, father and a Peruvian mother. You were born in Peru. And you've said that not being born and raised in, in, in central London has really helped you understand the British sensibility or understand uh, what it's like to be there. Talk to me about that a little bit. How does that change in perspective get over into your work? Well, I think, um, I think what really helped was the fact that, you know, being born and raised in Peru and traveling every two years to the UK to visit my, my dad's family, it meant that from a very early age, I was able to kind of just really tell apart the difference in, in culture and how that translated to to what that meant visually, you know, but obviously there was, it was more involved than that. It was the visuals, it was the smells being very different. I don't think, well, at least back then, I think in Peru and certainly in the US, I don't think that smell of rolling tobacco and, uh, and bitter <laughs> ale was something that was very common. So for me, these, uh, these experiences kind of really, really became almost cemented in my brain. I never really went away. So, so I always had that every two years as I got older, my brain developed, they kind of took different meanings, obviously. So when I eventually moved to England, uh, when I was uh, 16, I'd already been coming here for a very long time. So, so these things were familiar to me, but truth be told, the alienness of them has never really gone away. So whenever I smell that smell again, so it, it's hard to explain. It doesn't, it doesn't make me feel like it's alien, but it reminds me of the feeling that I had when it was once alien to me, if that makes sense. So for me, I think in, in many ways, having this view of, of, of the UK that's been very much a part of me from a very young age, but hasn't been innately a part of me, like someone who was born here, has maybe helped me look at 
the country where I live in 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 a in a very different kind of way. And obviously, I'm a very visual person. You know, maybe not everyone is visual, so I think the marriage between those two things is what maybe helped me kind of look at England in in the way that I have. It's it's an interesting distinction. Photographers talk all the time about originality or freshness, you know, something that that calls to their sensibility and thus, you know, they point the camera that direction. To to think of it as the alien, to think of it as as the not common to me uh, aspect is is a fascinating way to think about what we go out shooting for. You say that you began your career making videos. Tell me about that. Yeah, I studied filmmaking at university effectively. And it's something that I didn't pursue immediately after finishing my degree. I actually got a, a pretty normal job and I did that for many years. And And it's only when I was maybe 28 that I started really exploring the the idea that I wanted to create something visual. And that just manifested itself as making videos. Now, at the time, I was mountain biking a lot and I just thought, well, what better way to do something quickly and turn it over quickly than making videos of yourself mountain biking. So that, mm -hmm. that for me became the process by which I created images, edited them and then delivered something. And you know, the more you did it, the more then you knew how to shoot, how to frame, how to do this, how to do that. And I think from that, I think it just developed into a real thrill to, to create, to create visuals. And, and it just happened to manifest itself as video. So as things progressed, I did different things and I was getting a bit older. So I was getting more confident with approaching people and doing things in a collaborative sense. So, so I then kind of like, you know, uh, transitioned into making kind of music videos and, and my partner at the time, she was a, a singer. So it makes sense to, kind of film her kind of, you know, and her kind of artistic ex exploits. So I would film her band kind of rehearsing or, or whatever, or we'll do a music video and then we'd up the budget each time we did a new one and, 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 and so on and so forth. But I think what I ended up discovering, the more I did it and the more I got, the more I got involved with, with video and, and filmmaking was that the output was very low. And also I've, I found that, much of the time, the ideas that you had initially would then get, get watered down the more you got into the project. So there'd be funding mm -hmm. issues, there'd be scheduling issues. So by the end of it, you'd have very much a fraction of what you had uh, envisioned initially. And for me as an image maker and as a struggling, uh, yeah, I would guess a struggling DP, I guess, <laughs> was that my... For me, all that mattered was my my input into the project. It's making sure that the director or anyone involved with the creation of the project, that my visuals married up to their idea. So if they had the idea here, that and that was the constant, but for budgeting constraints, I couldn't have the camera that I wanted or the lenses that I wanted or the lighting that I needed or the location that I needed or the costume that I needed, then that would translate into watering down the entire project. And that for me became, for me, unacceptable. And so for me, photography just became a way of doing something that was more immediate, initially at least. Is this what you mean where in the magazine you say you, tr you were trying to figure out how your emotion sensibilities translated to still imagery? Did those sensibilities being sensibilities of quality? Not necessarily quality. I mean, obviously it depends on what you mean by quality, but no, no, not necessarily that. I mean, I think it's 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 weird because it's this is the part of image making that I think is true. It was true then and is still true now. I feel that now, for example, in terms of when I make images, 
they really come from me. You know, it's almost like I could trace back why I'm doing it. It's almost like I've, I've really tried not just to work out why I don't like things, but I also want to know why I like things. Whereas back then when I was younger and, and my output was nowhere near as high, it's almost like I didn't really know what I was doing. I was applying theory to things. I wasn't really feeling things. So for example, someone like Roger Deakins or someone that shoots a hell of a lot of video, they, they learn exactly what things mean and, and the right application of the technology to an emotion, for example, whether it be light, whether it be lenses, whether it be camera, whether it be digital or film or whatever, you get to understand really kind of that emotional response to the technology. And I think working at a, such a slow pace with video when you're first beginning, it didn't allow me to really understand things quite as well. Obviously, I didn't know that then, <laughs> I mm-hmm. just, which is mm-hmm. a very general frustration that I had. It's only in shooting stills that I've managed to really get to grips with what things mean, like the difference between a 50 and a 28, or the difference between this film stock and this film stock, and using grain for this and using you know, 35 for this and 120 for that, or you know, going to large format or something. I kind of feel like I'm getting to the point where I'm understanding these things a lot more. How, how much of your work today is pre-production? If you're deciding all of these things, are, are you imagining this shot pretty much before you press the shutter release? How much of this is post-production? I, I mean, I shoot film, so so it, I think it depends on, on what we're talking about. I mean, we're, we're talking from a technical point of view, but also we're talking from a theoretical point of view. So, so, so from the technical point of view, you make a decision as to kind of what you're going to shoot and why. Kind of go, okay, well, I'm going here and I'm doing this. What do I want to do with it? Do I want it to be charming? Do I want it to be strictly kind of like nostalgic? So in other words, do I want to shoot 35 mil? That's really grainy. Or do I want quality? You know, do I want wow level quality? Do I want to print this? Do I, you know, what do I want to do? So all of those questions, they basically fall into a pot. And then at the end, you kind of, I guess you rub the pot and then the answer comes out. <laughs> That's kind of how I tend to work. But much of the time, I actually take multi-formats just because I never really know what's going to happen. So, oh, okay. okay. But, but it does depend on what I'm doing. So, for example, with Arcadia, for example, because, because the project, well, it was never a project. I was just shooting because I, I enjoyed photography. It was never meant to be a book. So... I shot on multi, a multitude of formats. You know, as I was learning about photography, I was kind of going, okay, I've got 35 mil now. Now I've got 645. Now I've got 67 and so on and so forth. So for me, I was just shooting. I was exploring. I was learning. You know, I was doing any number of things. So by the time we actually ended up printing this book, we found that all this work, it had a relationship. It wasn't done in a way that most photography projects are published normally you know exactly what you're doing you're choosing your film stock you're choosing your location so everything has hegemony (laughs) Um, so i don't know if that's worse i don't know if that's the correct uh, word or pronunciation of that but basically everything kind of seems more standardized whereas mine certainly was not like that which is why arcadia was very much a hodgepodge of formats and styles and, and and film formats so now I do tend to have more of a process, even though much of my, what I'd like to call my BAU, my business as usual shooting, is still mm-hmm. very much reactive. You know, I, I still very much like to explore because that's what I personally enjoy doing. But I'm moving away more onto project-based work, which is a lot more 
specific, like in fact, I would say highly specific to to how I'm doing things. So at the moment, I've got two projects which are going side by side, which are very, very specific in terms of format and style. So it's more traditional in that sense. Well, I was going to get to this in a little bit, but we'll do it now. Tell me about these two projects. What have you got going? So obviously, I can't talk too much about the projects. But what I can say is, if I maybe contrast it against my two projects, or at least well, I've got two projects, one that's one that's sold out and one that's still kind of um, ongoing in that we haven't sold it out fully, in that these two projects are more story driven. So Arcadia and my recent publication in passing is they're both very much kind of documentary work. It's more mm-hmm. like you're trying to explain something with as few words as possible. For me, it was, a, it was an exercise in trying to do that. You know, I was, I was seeing a lot of work that I found to, to have almost too much of an explanation as to what was going on. And I didn't really want that for my first, for my first monograph, my first work. I wanted it to almost like, I wanted to see if it was possible to actually get a feel for somewhere understand a bit about its culture and the decisions that are made by people just purely with images. And that was very much kind of the MO for that project. Whereas for the new projects, it's very much done in a more journalistic sense. I want it to be a story, a story that requires words, requires artifacts, and is obviously accompanied by by photography to weave the story and give it kind of a a visual kind of um, feel and a visual identity, I guess. I would say I'm going to be first in line for that one. That that sounds absolutely fantastic. I can probably tell you a little bit more about that, just because I felt like I talked a lot and I didn't say anything. <laughs> so <laughs> go for so it. This one specifically is a more personal project. They're all personal, obviously, in whichever way you want to you want to slice it. But this one is uh, very personal from an emotional point of view. I think that is in itself going to make the project very, very interesting in terms of where it leads to, because there'll be a bit of emotional investment in that as well. So yeah, I'm, I'm very, very excited about it. Well, very cool. In a minute, I want to get to some specific images and see if you can tell me their histories and unpack them for me a little bit. Sure. But but you make a distinction uh, in in the Frames magazine, in the little bits of text, you make a distinction between storytelling and documentary style photography. What What is that distinction for you? Why is documentary not storytelling? Why is storytelling not documentary? Interesting. It's a very good question. Like, I, I've always... Maybe incorrectly. I mean, it's 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 one of those things that you kind of just you just think about, and then you somehow feel like you're in, you're in, a, in an echo chamber of of sorts. You know, you haven't necessarily test driven a theory with anyone else, so you believe it to be true. I don't. You know, I, I it's just, this is just like uh, an idea that I have. But I've always felt that with with many photographers, you can almost split most photographers that have released a body of work. You can almost see the balance of photography and storytelling so for example you know you could be a journalist or you could be an activist that just happens to have a camera so for them it is more important than the images whereas you have other photographers that are that have very very strong kind of like visual sensibilities so so they're almost more photographer than they are storyteller do you see what i'm saying so for me because i arrived at photography not because i was an activist or someone that wanted to kind of like, you know, create change in the world necessarily. I was just filling the time trying to find something new that I enjoyed. For me, photography in a purest form came first. I wanted to create images, even if they were of nothing. So for me, my documentary work, it seemed to naturally find 
a kind of voice and, and and a way that it kind of bounds. You know, there was lots of color play, for example. There was lots of nothingness. There was lots of this. So that in itself became its voice. But in terms of there being a story there, there wasn't necessarily something that I could pinpoint as being a story. If anything, there was too many stories. So it wasn't focused enough. So I guess when I talk about storytelling, it's more focused storytelling. You're, you're almost trying to, you're not necessarily trying to arrive at any conclusion, but you're trying to to tell a story of something or someone or some place. And I think for me, that's the distinction. So it might not be a huge distinction for a lot of people, but so, for example, if I maybe if I if I explain it like this, if you think about a lot of photographers in in, in the states, for example, there's the the incredible romance of of the road trip kind of uh, photography trip, you know, which is mm-hmm. amazing. So you end up driving lots, getting out when you see a great photograph or something beautiful, but there might not necessarily be a storyline that you can put your finger on. This is just a story of of the U.S., you know, of abandoned places or places that haven't necessarily got any investment anymore, you know, but you're not necessarily thinking that when you're taking the photographs, you're just taking photographs of this place as you pass them by. Whereas you could have a story about something specific that happens in these places that you're tracking, you know, from place to place. So it becomes a lot more kind of focused. And I think that's what I'm, I'm trying to go towards i would say so for me that is the distinction but that's not to say that i will i will will ever stop doing documentary photography because i simply adore exploration and just going to places and see what i find you know because that for me is is almost like what photography began you know as as being for me as an aside and this is a a personal interest of mine do you think that a single image can be narrative I think so. Okay. I definitely think so. I, I've always imagined art as not being about anything tangible. I, I don't think art has to be tangible. Uh, art is simply conceptual. So art is not the finished product. It's not a thing that you can hold or point at or see or or necessarily talk about in an intelligent way. Art has to have a plan behind it. It can be a loose plan, but it's simply an idea. That's all it is. It's an idea that you plant. It's a seed that you plant in the brain. If you're able to then make that into something tangible, like a photograph or a film or a piece of music that you can say, this is this thing, then it's great. So I think from that point of view, you can make anything into art, so long as there is a concept. I I am fascinated by this because I believe with, with all my heart and soul that the single still image can emphatically be narrative. And I was reminded of this with, I don't know if it's your most famous photograph, but it's the one on the front page of the story for the New York Times, that couple sitting in the booth and, and they're embracing and she's sort of looking over. Boy, that's a story. There, there's a, I mean, and, you know, and of course, the story is almost entirely my projection into that scene, but it's there nonetheless. So tell me the story of that photograph, not only the taking of it, but the conceiving of it, the whole, the whole thing. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I I think, I I think at some stage during, or not during, but after the making of that photograph, I was kind of very against talking about it too much, but now I'm obviously very, very chilled about it just because it's been been so long. (laughs) It's been nearly, I think four years since I took it. But basically, I was actually shooting a wedding, I think, I think at the time I was filming a wedding and I had to get a, a bus back. It was in the middle of nowhere. And this bus stopped before I had to then get 
another one or a train or something. I can't remember what it was, but basically it, it made, it made a scheduled stop. And at this point I really needed the bathroom. I think I'd been on this bus for about an hour and a half and it just happened to stop in this place. And I basically just ran out of the bus and just went up, went up the stairs to use the toilet. And when I came back down, I just saw this foyer. It was just this holding place. That's all it was. It was, it was neither here nor there, you know, it was just a holding place. And he just had this most perfect corner, you know, with the kind of like with a stained wood wall and the window and the reflection from inside onto the window and the, you know, the, the old soft furnishing where they sat on the table, it was everything. So I had my 35 mil camera on me. So I took a shot of it just because I wanted to see the behavior of the film in a situation like this. And when I got the, when I got the negatives back, I saw it and I went, I could go back and shoot this like with a better camera or frame it better or whatever, but I still felt that there was something missing in this image. And I think around this time I was, uh, I was still pretty new to photography and I decided that I wanted to have something more into that image. And I decided that I needed to have people in there. And I ended up speaking to, to my partner at the time. And, and she just said, I've got the perfect person for this. Knowing what my tastes were at the time, my obsession mm-hmm. with the film Paris, Texas and, and various <laughs> other films like, like Buffalo 66 and where you, where you have a, a bit of a femme fatale, you know, kind of featured in it, a very kind of classical femme fatale from in, in, in cinema at, at least. So I, I met with this girl that was a friend of hers. And as soon as I saw her, I just said, she's perfect, you know, absolutely perfect for this. And we shot a little bit here and there. And then finally, I decided that I wanted to get her involved with this shoot, you know. So she actually got her boyfriend involved, her boyfriend at the time. I'm not sure if they're together anymore. And we just went there and we just we just shot, basically, you know. So I, I wanted something like what you see in the image is actually exactly what I wanted. And that happens very rarely, you know. Usually you might get something different that you like even more, sometimes something that you don't like. But this one, it actually came out exactly how I wanted it to. But I wanted the image to to be the kind of image where you don't know if it's if it's set up or you, you don't know if it's candid. Like that's why I refused to answer questions about it, because I didn't want I don't I didn't want my explanation or talking about f-stops and film stocks and this and that i didn't want anything to take away from the experience that anyone might have of this image whether you hated it whether you loved it whether it made you feel this 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 or this i didn't want anything to interrupt that or or have an influence on it well it 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 is certainly a a remarkable and and profound there's a tension in that picture between uh, intimacy and loneliness, but between love and, and, and a kind of isolation, which actually shows up in a lot of your work that, that you put under the category of portraits on, on your website and stuff. So, so tell me about that kind of tension as a emotion you're going for. Yeah, sure. I, I just, I, I, I like ambiguity. I don't, I don't think I've ever really been one of those people that requires answers for everything. You know, I'm, I'm quite happy for, for things to just exist in with a certain ambiguity to them. Um, I enjoy that. You know, I enjoy, I enjoy those kind of gray areas where, where you don't know whether something is this or it's that or it's right or if it's wrong. You know, I, I, I enjoy all these things and, and the journey that, that can take you in figuring things out for yourself. I don't necessarily like things to be told to you. I don't think, I don't like things to be 
too literal. You know, um, I, I like I like there to be a bit of a question mark to things, and I think I think that that side of my personality kind of it translates to to my work. You know, um, you know, I'm not seeking I'm not seeking specific things out. You know, I, I don't. You know, I mean, some don't get me wrong. There are times when I'll I will go somewhere because I know that there is something there that I want to photograph. But often, whenever I do that. I end up finding so much more that actually is better in in speech marks, sorry, um, quotes better than the thing I went there for. Other times, I just need a clue or a hint of something that might be there. So I'm not looking for specific things. I just I, I literally go purely by how it makes me feel. So it, it's a mixture of knowing how it makes me feel, but also understanding my equipment and. And knowing that framing it like this, waiting till this time or whatever, how it will help that that emotion kind of carry through. I that's fantastic. There's so many people say knowing your equipment, you know, not, not technical, you know, geeky stuff like what's the best f stop for this, <laughs> but 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 you know, simply having the best match between your sensibility and the gear you're carrying, it, I think is is. Yeah. Something we need to talk as an industry. Something we need to talk a little bit more about. One of the things you say in the magazine, and I love this quote. You say some scenes say less than others. Some are simply coincidence. Simple compositions of color and light. That as a photographer, it would be criminal not to capture. <laughs> so I, I'm with you there, man. At 100 percent, because <laughs> a, a lot, a lot of your images. Um, there's that one of the corner of a bathtub with a bar of soap and um, a towel and all this stuff. Oh yeah. You look at it, and, and it is. What does it mean? I have no bloody idea what it means. Is it a cool picture? Absolutely. It evokes all sorts of memory. It evokes a, a, a time in my, I'm, I'm old enough to have remembered bathrooms decorated that way uh, everywhere. Um, so tell me about coincidence. Tell me about light and line and, and, and how you, you get arrested somehow. Just, I don't mean like talking about the police, but you know, walking down the, <laughs> walking down the street and you know, something just says, wait, stop, shoot. It's, um, it's a great question. And to be honest with you, I, I don't really know where it comes from. It, it's still like a big unknown to me. It's something that I really haven't really understood why. If you're just creating images in a documentary sense, you're basically reacting to your environment. That's kind of what you're doing. Obviously, there's a bit of pre-planning involved in where you want to go, and and obviously time. You know, you don't want to go. You don't want to. You don't want to pick a spot. You know, randomly because you know you you haven't got all the time in the world. So you you do want to do a little bit of research to see if the kind of places that you're going to visit will yield the kind of images that you like to make. But I think for me, photography it's quite simple, and I and I don't mean that in a disrespectful kind of way where you know it's like look at me you know I'm you know what I do is really simple I, I don't mean it in that way but I think theoretically I think photography if you're making documentary style images I think it can be quite simple in terms of the things that you're looking for you know things like things that humans gravitate to you know just like in the animal kingdom you know we gravitate towards color we gravitate towards light and obviously with humans you know you have a a very healthy smattering of culture that goes along with that. So there are things that are culturally significant, culturally important, culturally resonant with people. So when you combine those cultural elements together with the simple color and light kind of variables, it creates for a dynamic image that you naturally are attracted to as a photographer. 
So whilst many people, for example, shooting black, shooting black and white and who are good at their process, they can see tonality in the world that they see. I see color and I see clashes of color. And I guess when you see a composition that is, you know, like you said, I said, <laughs> uh, arresting, <laughs> uh, arresting, I think it's become an automatic thing for me. You just know that it needs to be photographed. And I can't, sl- I can't sleep <laughs> when, when I know I've missed something. You know, I, I, I often tell this story to people about things that you've missed or situations where you had a shot and somehow something went wrong and you couldn't take it. And to be honest with you, most of them I've forgotten about, which I'm grateful for, because if I didn't, I think I'd drive myself crazy. But there is, there is one shot that I will, I will never forget. And it was about two years ago, I was with my, with my partner, Georgie, and we were in Great Yarmouth, which is a, a seaside resort in, uh, in the west of England. Very picturesque, very colorful. And we were about to go home. We were about to get our bags to go home. And we were walking past this, this street with lots of terraced houses, you know, next to each other. Mm-hmm. And I saw twins, twin girls, about maybe... 16 i guess maybe maybe a little bit maybe a little bit older maybe a little bit younger and they were both sat on a blue wall in front of their house and they were both wearing red t-shirts and both had ginger hair <laughs> like tied in bunches <laughs> that rested on their shoulders mm-hmm. and and to this day i will always regret not asking them for the portrait obviously the reason why i didn't was was to me at the time justifiable in that I think their big brother was there with them and he may have not understood why I would have wanted to take this, this portrait, you know, but for me, all of the other things that tell me not to like the fact that they may, they may have been of an age that needed consent, for example, it's not about that. It's just how you see the world. It's just color. It's color. And obviously with them, it was people as well. So for me, it became like an automatic thing. And as soon as you see it, you go, I have to photograph that. And I think that's become more intense the the more I do photography in that you see something and you just go, I have to photograph this. It's like, a, it's like you get a feeling in your gut that you go, oh my God, I have to get all my stuff ready. I've got to make sure that, you know, I've got the right film or do I have enough, do I have enough film? Is it fast enough? Have I got a tripod? <laughs> you know, all of these yep. things. So it becomes pretty, pretty quick. I, I think the shot not taken is is one of the most important lessons for a lot of photographers because we didn't take it, but it it, resi- it resides in our memory for the rest of our lives. It, it's a great lesson for all of us. Absolutely. Um, switching keys just a little bit. Tell me about the three pink chairs with the hair dryers. One of the images that you have in Frames Magazine. Uh, Mandy's. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's one of my it's one of my favorite images from from last year. So I think I took that. I think around January 2020, I was actually doing something else at the time. I was I was uh, I was doing a camera review at the time, and I, I needed to just go out and, and very quickly do a review on a camera. So I was taking some shots. I had my my plowable uh, Makina with me, and I think I had I think it was Ektachrome that I was that I had loaded um, in okay. there. I went past this shop, and I'd seen it before. I'd photographed it before. But it just, it was different this time around. And not to mention the fact that the lady who owns it, she was actually in the shop. So I had a, I had a chat with her, which I always try to do. Wherever, whenever I photograph any object, I always 
wherever possible, if the owner or the person responsible for said object is is there, I will always engage him in conversation. Always. I would say almost without fail. <laughs> and I just had a chat with her. And I think I think the reason I ended up liking that particular image more than any other time that I've taken it or seen that place is that I actually gained an understanding as to why that place looked the way it does. And I love the fact that she she does not make it, she does not keep it that way because of fashion or, you know, this kind of call to, um, to make vintage looking things or nostalgia. She does it simply because it's good for her business because her clientele is elderly and they don't like change and they appreciate things looking like they were at a certain point in time. So her reason for keeping it that way is entirely through necessity rather than any, anything else that's affected by by culture. And I love that. So for me, that's authenticity. And I think authenticity for me, from a personal point of view, from my own enjoyment of an image, it means so much more to me for things to be authentic than just to be beautiful. So if they're beautiful and authentic, for me, it gives me an even bigger rush. Can something made in 2021 be authentic? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But, But it might not necessarily be photographically interesting to me. I think a lot of the time, I think um, if you're photographing things like I do, you do get told a lot that it reminds you of Stephen Shaw or William Eggleston. You know, I, I always take it as a, as a compliment. You know, I, I think it's a great compliment. But sometimes the people say it in a non-complimentary way. And I understand that as well. I, I don't accept it, but I understand it. The difference is, is that, you know, I'm not going out to copy William Eggleston. The fact still remains that I'm going out to places not knowing what I'm going to get. So when I see them, I just photograph them, you know, so, mm-hmm. so I'm not going out to copy you know, the yellow car behind the yellow wall or, or the light with the, with the red ceiling, you know, I'm not doing that, you know, you're still just photographing what you see and what you find. And that never changes. Whether I photograph something or not does not mean that it doesn't exist. You know, there's a million things that exist that are beautiful that I might like that I haven't yet photographed. So it's a bit of a weird one, but I think you do reserve the right to choose what to photograph. You're basically editing the world as a photographer. That's what you're doing. You know, you, you edit, you edit the world, you, you edit every image that you take, even when you think you're not editing, you're still choosing where you point your, your camera and your lens, you know, and, and what to frame, what to leave in and what to frame out. So I think, yeah, I think things can be completely genuine and serve a purpose, but they might not necessarily be photographable to you personally. That, that is wonderful. One last question, and, and, and sort of a big one, and we've been circling around it a little bit. You, you say somewhere that, that you, know, you like old things. They, you know, they, they, they speak to you. In another place, you talk about you know, liking old things because they've survived, I think the phrase was the rampages of modernity or something, that, that, mm. you know, you know, being taken over by the modern. I noticed that a lot of your work really approaches the idea of nostalgia. Tell me how nostalgia is a part of your philosophy of shooting when you go out, how you think about it. From a purely photographic sense, texture and color. Don't get me wrong, there's lots of color in the modern world as well. You know, I, I've seen some parking lots here in, here in Brighton that are very colorful. And to be honest with you, I'm actually thinking about photographing them. <laughs> I've got to just find a way. I've got to find a way of doing it. So I'm not. I'm not averse to photographing modern things. It just so happens that older things just have a certain texture and patina and a certain personality that I don't really find in 
the modern world. So, so as an example, this new project that I was discussing with you earlier, that's going to have a ton of mod modern things in it because that's the, what the project requires. But my documentary work is very much me reacting to my environment. So I'm not photographing the things that you want me to photograph. I'm photographing the things that I am reacting to. So just like, you know, you go to the shop uh, or to a store and you buy a shirt and you happen to choose it in red rather than blue, that's because it's for you. It's not for your uncle or your friend or your neighbor. It's for you. It's, I think it's much in, in the same kind of way as that. So it's not photographing for nostalgia. It just so happens that these nostalgic things just speak to you more than others. And plus which, the fact that they're older the fact that they're still there and surviving and they haven't been replaced by something else, that in itself is a story. You might not know what the story is, but you try to find out wherever possible. A bit like what I said about Mandy's. I, I wanted to know how this shop had remained the way it was. How? How has this happened? I don't understand. Amidst so much modernity. And obviously she gave me the answer, which, which was for me perfect. So all these other things that you find, you might not necessarily get an answer, but they're still there, they're existing and they're still surviving. And that in itself is interesting to me. You know, a lot of the time, you're never going to necessarily know what the answer is. Interesting to you, interesting to me, evocative and, and deeply moving quite often mm. as well. I, I find myself stopping at your photographs and the first blush is, I know this. And then the second blush is, I don't know this at all. Let me re-see it your way and, and winding up with really, really a nice experience. So thank you, sir. This has been wonderful. Oh, thank you. I've, I've really enjoyed it. Frames, because excellent photography belongs on paper. Visit us at www.readframes.com.